Darling, we've had one hell of a time But the question on everybody's mind Where is the Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Ideas Don't Bleed, presented by Ashcan Press, uh, featuring Matthew Rosenberg. Matthew it's Rosenberg. Good. It's low energy today, Griffin. Are you all right? <laughs> Matthew, I, the wildcat. Why, why, why the <laughs> fuck would you make the Joker pregnant? Why Matthew the Rosenberg. In any universe. Uh, I like... It doesn't make any sense, Matthew. He, the there, Joker doesn't do get pregnant. you understand that biologically it can't happen? There, there it goes. I was wondering why Griffin was holding back because he's barely contained rage. I like that we're doing this because this is going to run in three months and no one's going to yeah, remember yeah, what we're talking about. We're going to reignite it. Tucker Carlson's calling right now. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> get, get Bring in Tucker. I'll um, step out. Let Tucker get in. He lives with me. It's cool. <laughs> Tucker's your roommate. Um, Joe you like Biden Matthew Rosenberg has written a oh, joke. Uh, I, I, uh, I don't think I did make the Joker pregnant, but I'm happy that the book is selling because people are talking about it so that's nice thank hey, you man. As, as someone who now needs to get his gallbladder removed your whole food poisoning thing really fucked me up so whoa <laughs> we're gonna talk about the gallbladder my, thing my impending surgery oh we didn't next, even talk about that pre-show for the next hour we're not gonna it's talk about it's that. something it's something fat old men normally have to deal with but i get to too so that's good for you. Nobody knows who you are because we haven't introduced you yet. We're still talking about pregnant Joker. Is it true that the controversy <laughs> around that issue has made it sell almost as much as the one you put us in? <laughs> um, is it not the one I put? No, it's the one after the one I put it's you in. The one after, yeah. Um, God so, damn it! If, if only it was that one. <laughs> I know you guys would be eBay rich right now, or yeah. getting getting executed on. <laughs> Patriot News, one or the other. I, oh, I don't know which. Maybe if both. we can bring in the consultant from Patriot News now, that'd be <laughs> OAN. Proud Eagle, come in and bring your sword. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, we don't need to talk about the Joker per se. Um, it's a fun we book. Just did. You should check it out. What's that uh, baby going to look like? It looks like the Joker. <laughs> Clayface, and he looks like the Joker. Um, Spoilers. Watching the one thing I will say about the Pregnant Joker is watching comic fans attempt to explain Zatanna and Clayface mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. people who don't care about comics at all, mm-hmm. and be like, "No, it's clay. It's a piece of Clayface." Oh, Zatanna cast a spell, but it reflected wrong. And like watching these people who have never picked up a comic in their life and have no interest be like. <laughs> It's a backup to... gag in a much more serious comic. It's yeah, they yes, to... they still make comics. Yes. yes, I like I like that. I like that their anger can just like completely deflect any lore reason explanation yeah. as well. Yeah. Like I don't care about your satanas and your magics. And I mean, I, I Harry mean, Potter. The first day I got dozens of. You think I'm going to go see this movie? And I was like. <laughs> 
I, I would. I guess. I don't know. Probably. Like the last one made a billion dollars. If we made him pregnant in this one, it'd probably make a billion dollars. Yes, I think oh you'd go God. see it. But like, I was like, you know, people just being like, your movies are no. terrible. And I was like, my movies are terrible. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. I'm telling you, I think Joaquin would be into Pregnant Joker. <laughs> Definitely. I guess Definitely. He, would act, he would actually get pregnant for the role. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's not a junior, that shit. Yeah. Todd Phillips goes back to his hangover roots and Joker wakes up, you know, on the roof of a Vegas hotel pregnant and they <laughs> got to figure out last night? how did yeah. this happen? I would go see happen? that movie. That's <laughs> not bad. That movie sounds great. We are joined Matthew, today. Who's our guest? <laughs> yeah, who's yeah, uh, Tucker Carlson here? I'm a huge fan. No. We are joined today by my longtime <laughs> friend and and comic book excellent comic book writer, uh, Mr. Frank Barberi. Yay! Um, yay! Well, we clap on this show. We clap. I'm, I'm clapping for myself. And uh, some respect I get. <laughs> Frank is the writer of books like Five Ghosts and Violent Love and Image and White Suits at Dark Horse and. Black Market, and I'm going to miss some. Uh, Howling Commanders this... of Shield, Woof Woof. Howling Commanders of Shield, Woof Woof. At, uh, All new Marvel uh, again. <laughs> Avengers World, you wrote some of that. Respect. Uh, my man wrote some Lobo and some Supergirls. Don't love talking about that. Uh, Deja Thoris. <laughs> I love talking about that. That, that was good. You want, to talk, you want to do an hour on Deja Thoris? Yeah, Solar Man of the Atom, which you I always say Solar Man of the Atom because you say Solar Man of the Atom, but I'm not sure it's not Solar. Is it not Solar? I oh, don't solar. know how to read. <laughs> Did oh, no okay. one tell you to say <laughs> Solar? I know. I think I just said Solar like how when I was a child I thought Guile from Street Fighter's name was Gooey. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you know reading <laughs> so i have definitely said solar man of the atom for as long as i've known um, you i'm sorry i gaslit you like that <laughs> wow this is a i i always try and have people on the show that i know i can make cry that i have that oprah moment but i think i'm gonna be the one who breaks here because i'm the one confronting a reality that i didn't know um, I, I mean, it's funny that you still say Jokar, too. So. <laughs> Jokar, man of the laugh. Um, <laughs> the, uh, so, Frank, we open with a very general question that you can take a lot of time with or a little bit of time with. You can do what you like here, which is, um, why do you make comics? Oh, boy. <laughs> this is... No, uh, I, I don't know. I, I read comics... My whole life, like I, I was born in the early '80s, so I'm was just in that strike zone where kids would still just be handed comic books when I was a kid because they were still on spinner racks everywhere, every drugstore, every grocery store. Like kids just liked comics in the late '80s, early '90s, and uh, I remember my parents would always buy us like random issues of X Men and things like that. And then the X Men cartoon hit, the Batman cartoon hit, and I was just like kind of surrounded by it, but I never thought about writing comics i liked uh writing in school but like never dawned on me till i was in college uh i read an issue of wizard also rip where there was like a spotlight on image where Did it was someone like, else die you said also rip, <laughs> rip. Uh, howling commandos died oh they're not <laughs> they're not dead. yeah every, everyone got quiet oh no they're very alive that's right <laughs> i i wrote them I'm, yeah i know <laughs> but uh I read an issue of Wizard about how Image Comics was submission-driven, and I just, like, taken, I guess, screenwriting in college. It was like, wow, trying to sell movies is 
totally shitty and will never happen. <laughs> but uh, reading an issue and realizing, oh, wait, people just make comics and send them to Image and they publish them. You don't need to be like hired. I immediately was like, that's exciting because I like writing. I had wanted to tell stories. I didn't know what medium really worked. And I never even considered comics because I thought, even though I was like reading like powers and stuff at the time, I didn't realize that that stuff was homegrown. So uh, I just always loved that one, it's accessible and small like that. And that the reason I still do it to this day is that it's one of the just like purest, like commercial mediums, in my opinion, that you can actually just kind of make, like, even if you just make a comic at home, it exists, you can finish it. It's not terribly expensive. And there's something cool about that. And really just collaborating with artists, like the fact that you write something and someone else draws it and having done this, thankfully long enough with enough different people to see different people draw from my scripts. It's really always cool to see how different people interpret it. And, and it kind of comes to life. But uh, again, I, so many people are like, why don't you write novels or anything? And truly anything I've ever thought of to get excited about, I end up wanting to do as a comic instead, because I like that process. But uh, yeah, never thought they would come out, but uh, thankfully they did. And uh, uh, I don't know, it, it's still the accessibility of it. I know it's, I don't know. I think it's like the industry is still so much more accessible than say film or, or so many of the other commercial bigger commercial art forms and that's what excites me to meet people who are interested in comics like oh you can just do it man like you obviously need to find collaborators to pay or if you can draw yourself but like uh that's still really refreshing to me to know that's like out there and ready to go yeah i was reading um cyanide milkshake the collected cyanide milkshake i don't know if you've ever read that like Liz Suburbia. i actually don't know what that is yeah yeah Liz Suburbia, who made sacred heart uh she's she's great cartoonist but like it's her old mini comic which is just like lots of like you know just like sort of punk short stuff and um it's great but she starts every issue being like i made this with a sharpie and a photocopier (laughs) you can do it go do it like and like it's a very like it's something that you know i think you and me both come from like punk rock backgrounds and so that sort of makes sense to us but just seeing it over and over written i was like it's it, it both was at first I was like well yeah obviously like anyone can go do this but like I mean she's very good at it but like I was like anyone can go do this but then I was also just like what a cool thing to pick up if you didn't know that to just be like I bought this thing and I like it and like the first thing I see is the person being like you should do it too is like such a cool positive thing and it's no, something I think it, about a lot in comics no I feel like you've been the same as me like over like the last like 10 plus years we've met so many people who've come into the industry and seeing them succeed is awesome and knowing that everyone well not everyone a lot of people who really wanted to be here were able to get in and follow paths and like a lot of times they just need to be able to told like they can and that's still really really cool it reminds me of music when you could just start a band and i feel like the fact that you could then also even like get your books published and and things like that is super cool and a lot of people try to like guard things like they're a secret, which bums me out because again, even like that book, right? So many people will be like, well, I got in cause I'm special. It's like, no, you can probably do this too. I'm sure you have your own stories to tell, blah, blah, blah. I'm not a fucking genius that I managed to be the man who cracked the code of uh, making comic books. Yeah. I, I think you, you, you made a really good point, which is that like the people we came up with because you and me started together, you started like <laughs> making comics, like, one year before me maybe um able to drum extra money from my student loans that's how i paid comic artists when i was in college but but it, it bad is, decision it, it, wow 
the bad decision. We'll um, be paying that forever now, but uh, at the time but, it seemed like free money. But wow. you got a book out of it mm-hmm. that is not in print anymore. Thank so, God. Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, I, I think a lot about that. Like I, um, you know, in, in just the idea of like, and obviously it's not for everybody. Not everybody is like social and 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 good at making friends or meeting people. But like our peer group. Uh, was really a, a strong support network for coming up. For like, sure. Obviously, you and me were like, you know, we'd go to every, you know, if we would get an opportunity, we would try and pass it back to the other and we'd go over together. But I think about like Ed Brisson, Steve Orlando, Chris Sabella, Mike Maurice. Like, Literally all everyone who works in comics now, right? Like it's so yeah. wild that all those people came up. Like, but we were just talking a little earlier about like how it used to be message boards and things like that. But like I do a lot of when I can, I like to just like talk and mentor and, uh, was giving a talk about like like networking sort of and i hate networking because like it's for type a people only and there's so many yeah. not type a people who want to do creative things but for us it was such an organic thing where i love like none of us had like a dad who worked at marvel or like yeah, a best friend like we all came in from zero but by building that community at shows we started to just know each other and know the people breaking in and again now i'm just like I mean, it sounds like verklempt, waxing, poetic about, but it was a really like, we all came from no background, met the same people, worked yeah. and got to different places and all got in. And it was like an organic like thing, as you said, it wasn't like, again, no one's fucking cousin, like worked at Marvel or anything yeah. to help us get in there. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, like I, when I started like, and I think you were the same way that it was like for us, when we were first starting, there was a lot of thought of like, we have to meet a famous comic book creator (laughs) who will help us. And then it's like, you soon realize like, well, those people have friends. They don't want to like go out to dinner with (laughs) us. Yeah, man. That's the way to fucking do it. Let me tell you. (laughs) Still still nothing in comic. Most people aren't riding their riding other people's coattails to careers. Some people pull it off, and congratulations to them. We're very proud of them. Um, different but, paths, man. Different paths. But, right. yeah, the but you know, I I think about that a lot. Of like when I see you know when I see not to like put myself on a high horse, but I'll like meet young aspiring creators at shows, and they'll be like, you know, oh, can we go get dinner? And I I feel like a jerk because I'm like, well, I would love to give you time, but like. I have a limited amount of time and there are people I've known for a decade here that are like good friends. There's like business things I have to do, but I'm also want to be like, I'm not the person who's (laughs) probably going to help. Like I can maybe help you in your career here or help you there. But like the thing that's going to help you much more than me is finding someone on your own level who can boost you up one. Like you have to take every rung of the ladder at a time. And the easiest way to do that is with other people who are doing the same thing. Like we're not going to like, it's so much harder to find someone who's going to bump you up. to the top you know and again i I don't want to sound negative about this but like it's gonna sound a little like i'm downplaying the advice that a lot of people give which they're just like you want to make comics cool just make comics and i'm like yes that is part of it but there's such a bigger part of that that like yes you can't just make an awesome comic in your house and then everything happens and that's why i try to demystify for a lot of people and especially people who don't necessarily want to be throwing themselves into it and again especially a lot of shy people or just like people who fear some of the negative sides of cons and networking which are very real too and i don't know i try to be more holistic and be like yes you can make the work yourself you can get out there but i think we just are in 2023 god saying that's weird but uh 
in a better place where there are more vectors to even reach people. Because for us, really, it only was cons. Like there was still yeah. no Twitter. Like I think a lot of the message boards had fizzled out or were just so close yeah. off that we had to just physically go to put ourselves in front of some of these people. But but like you said, it wasn't really even like famous people famous, it was comics like, famous it was our own peers who we made friends with that ended yeah. up being that support group not like again someone didn't come up like it, it wasn't someone outside our peer group who was the one who got in and was like let me give you all comics deals <laughs> like, yeah. the um yeah it's such a it's such an interesting i want to sort of talk to you about sort of your your breaking in and and like the early days of your career because one, i'm always sort of fascinated by it because i learned a lot of it because you were there so well no I, I was there but like I learned how to do it from you because you were always like three steps ahead of me in your career I was, I was like you gotta take the joker and make him pregnant you were, that was your first <laughs> advice you were like what's your life like, dream <laughs> um, and I was like I want to see the I, I can't even there. imagine so imagine going back 10 years and me selling that to you you probably I'd probably write it down and put it in my notebook and fucking have it made it into a pillow. Joking aside, joking aside, jokering. No, No, but I think you know. I I feel like when I, I mean, we can go back. We first met because I knew your I knew your brother, and um, uh, he's a he's a wild individual. Uh, He used to play in a band that I was friends with, and I mentioned casually, like, "Oh, I'm thinking about starting to make comics." And he was like, oh, my brother works for Marvel, <laughs> which so was good. amazing. It was <laughs> definitely not true. And he was like, you should just talk to him. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I think I just shot you an email, right? Like, Yeah, I probably like, still have it, funny enough. Like, I, I remember one day I was looking back on that. But yeah, yeah you were just like, hey, I... I I might have like met you for a second at a show first. You maybe, might have introduced maybe. yourself in person because I was still in New Brunswick at the time. Yeah, yeah, that might. Be but true. then you definitely emailed me following up. Yeah, we probably maybe met at the grease trucks or at like <laughs> on George Street somewhere or something. Oh, yeah. um, the uh, but yeah, I emailed you and was like, you know, you want to get coffee or something sometime, and like I'd love to pick your brain. And then that's when you told me like I definitely don't work at Marvel. <laughs> uh, um, but but you had a book you were making coming out i i remember you sent me a congrats because divine intervention the graphic novel i did in arcana that i uh arcana arcana i don't know how to read uh solar i had i had done while i was in college and actually finished at all just with student loan money which was miserable and uh it was listening in diamond and matt actually saw me like a really like sweet like oh i saw your book in previews that's awesome like i was like oh and even my own parents didn't care. <laughs> I remember I let my mom read that book, by the way, and she said it's probably not going to win any awards. Was her <laughs> yeah, was her dope? Uh, I did. I had very supportive parents, but not like that. <laughs> that's your book quote. That's and, on the trade, baby. And, <laughs> and did it win any awards? Zero. <laughs> so credit to. Um, but, uh, yeah, but I. It, 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 it's wild because it was such a different time back then. I that makes me sound like an old man, but like. There were not breaking in like 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 now again. I can like I like I point so many people to Bendis's book and like or just like anything. At that time, there was like one blog post by Robert Kirkman that was like, "You want break in the comics? Don't teehee." And it was actually a very funny, like, <laughs> good piece. But it was basically that. And then like one by Mark Wade that was like very like as practical as it could be at the time. But there just was not information that was relevant or useful. So a lot of it was just figuring out like 
well, what the hell do I even need to make to submit to somebody? What do I even need to do to like get out there? And like, it was sadly like tribal knowledge you just got from other people. And like literally anyone else reaching out to me was just like, like, oh God, thank God someone else who wants to do this. Yeah. Because again, we started talking about it so much. We became friends very quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember asking you, I, I remember specifically being like, I'm confused about something. Like most of the big two books have inkers and then a lot of indie <laughs> books don't. Do I need to find an anchor too? Like, why? Why are there not anchors on some books? Well, like again, that was like the level of like just and like we didn't knowledge know. not out there. Yeah, because yeah. because again, I, Fred Vinlanti and Greg Pak have that great book too. That's actually like production oriented as well. But like, there was nothing. And and I always say that like, as much as I'll joke about like doing like crappy indie books, like I learned how to physically make comics because when we did Five Ghosts at Image. Image has always been like, again, very open, which is awesome. But like, even in, in 2012, 2013, it was very much like a, you send us the files and we print it. Like there's support structure there. But if you did, if I didn't know all the stuff I knew about making comics, that book would not have come out. I would have been like, wait, what, how do I do this? And uh, again, so I don't begrudge that experience, but I am glad that people can get it other ways now that it's not like this, like closely guarded, find well, be a crazy person like me and just comb the entire world. But uh, I think I think I'm glad to see that there are a lot. Well, and again, there are college courses now that are a lot better. Not that I think people should go to college for comics specifically, but uh, I don't know. I've, Personal I've, bias, but uh, no. I, I mean, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was I was trying to explain to someone like when you and me were starting, like the people who could actually pay your art, like forget paying you, but pay an artist to draw your book was like five or six companies tops. It was like Dark Horse yeah. and, and Oni and like Image, you'd get money in the end. So like you do Image, but like Image, Oni, Dark Horse, Boom, IDW, and then like a few smaller ones. It and was probably like, like around 2008, right? Like I'm trying to think, because like that's when I like was graduating and probably finished little, my book. I feel like a little later than that. I, I think like, because I had moved home and had started like, doing stuff with like Mooneyham and stuff around then because that's when i i want to say so like 2010 but maybe not i'm literally gonna look it up like but go ahead and keep talking <laughs> well i just i just like you know it, it was such an interesting thing because like we would I, I mean i know less for you than for me but i would make pitches and i would send them to people at those five companies and i'd be like eric at boom is getting it and so and so at idw's getting you know and like all these people would get the emails and then you know charlie at oni is gonna get it and then they wouldn't open the email and you're done. Like that, that project's dead. Dude. And now it's like it's just not like that because there's yeah, you yeah. have you have Vault and AWA and I, I Mad see Cave the, and Scout. The first the first email I have from you that says, Hey, it's Matthew Rosenberg is from eight nineteen ten. Yeah, so wow. two thousand ten. Look at yeah. me. Yeah. Is Look that the whole that. email? Hey, it's Matthew Rosenberg. Don't read my email. On, on no, no, I was gonna say, I think you evoke some people we no longer work with, which is pretty funny seeing. It's, <laughs> It's probably pretty uh, a pretty long email. I used to write emails that were way too long to people. That was like it, pro- it probably made me probably made me feel important though. So you that's know, fair enough. Um, but I remember, you know, a big thing for you, a, a big thing that I thought was like incredibly cool or smart or coincidental, and I never quite figured it out was that you <laughs> definitely coincidental. Then <laughs> you lived close to the Kubert School. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And like, just became friends with. 
a ton of Kubert school artists who went on to be big artists. Well, that remains to be the like bane of every writer who wants to break into comics, right? Finding collaborators is always impossible. I think Twitter has helped a little bit, but like, it seems like anyone who can draw at even like a semi-professional level will find work now because it's so sought after, but uh, it was even worse. Like when there were no like groupings and, it was the like smartest thing I probably ever did is I did, as you said, I grew up a town over from the Joe Kubert art school and uh, I had taken like classes there when I was a little kid and I was just like, I want to draw comics, but I, well, I always liked comics as I said. So it's always kind of been around. I didn't just decide I, one day. I didn't know you but, took classes there. Yeah. I, they did little kid classes though. It wasn't like the serious classes. You know like I can't remember. They were, they were definitely like not, people I would have known because I feel like I still would have recognized uh-huh. who they were. They were, uh, I think one, one of the guys had worked on Doug though, like the animated show Doug, which oh, I thought was yeah. cool. And like, so they weren't like comic students though. Like it wasn't like the Qberts or anyone, but uh, when I moved back from college, I'm like, why am I like trolling DeviantArt in like weird forums? Like that school is right there. So I looked up people with Qbert tags and found, uh, Booneyham and Gary Brown and a few other people in their class. And they were still underclassmen at that time. And I just like sent them some emails and I was teaching public school full time. So I had some money to actually commission them. And that's how I met Chris and they lived like 10 minutes from my house. I would just go hang out with them, which was awesome. And the, yeah, the graphic fun. novel I'd done, I had done with an artist who was foreign. So there was just always a little bit of a disconnect and he was a champion and did the book, which was great. But like, he wasn't like, my friend or peer but with them it was awesome that i could actually just go hang out we actually became friends and i could like see people draw and just like organically grow from there which was as i said one of the best like fortuitous things that happened as it was like a stable of young people who were trying to do the same thing as me yeah and from that you and chris Mooneyham went and did pitched five ghosts to image right did you go to pitch before that <laughs> i well so i won't get into it because i've talked about this like ad nauseum on some podcasts and i will go on for like three hours if i start telling this whole story but long story short is i went to chris because i was going to do another graphic novel at arcana but it went so badly that we decided to cancel but i had another artist who who quit just because they couldn't do it on time and chris was going to do it drew like 40 ish pages of that uh-huh and like or maybe even more, maybe like 60 over like a year and a half. But halfway through that, I remember I was, I was still teaching. So it must have been like 2007. I randomly, after reading like Parker and Casanova, uh, got inspired to do a story about a thief. I'm like, oh, I want to do something that looks like Parker. That's about a thief character. But I was thinking, I'm like, oh, but they have to be able to do something cool that's comic booky instead. I was like, oh, what if they had like Sherlock Holmes powers? And I'm like, oh, wait, what if they had like a few literary characters? And that's how I thought five goes. And I went to work the next day and on my lunch break, wrote the first issue. On your uh, lunch break, you wrote the whole issue? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, the date on it is still on the original draft. And it was it was loose but it was just like it arrived fully yeah. formed like i get what this is it's like indiana jones and it has and i sent that to chris and he immediately like sent me some sketches back and i'm like this is the book we should do and he's like no 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 we're gonna finish the western that no one wants and oh, i remember that western it, yes, and, and, I, it looked great. and i and i and i it, it did look cool it's coming up on like my facebook memories now but I, I convinced chris to draw the pitch to five ghosts which are the first five pages of the book which is a really cool like not to copy it myself, but like cool self-contained, like little like exhibit of like, it's 
the main character using all the powers in and out in like a self-contained sequence. And uh, mm. Chris drew it and hand-lettered it. And I remember I was so angry he was hand-lettering it because it took forever. And then he spelled a word wrong. And I'm like, nope, I'm going to letter the book. You fucked up, man. You can't do it like that. But uh, I love you, Chris. Sorry. But you know why I don't <laughs> let you hand-letter. But uh, but uh, he had those pages in his portfolio. And that year was one of the first year I exhibited at New York Comic-Con. So it was probably around like 2009 or 2010. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had our Western, which no one gave a shit and no one bought. But uh, he had those pages in his portfolio that could, people could read. And everyone stopped and read that. It was like, this is awesome. And I'm like, this is the book we should make, man. And then we uh, ended up Kickstartering it in like 2012 when Kickstarter was like brand new. I remember we made like $1,000 on Kickstarter. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this is crazy. <laughs> but uh, we actually self-published it because everyone rejected it, like, I, I had started doing white suit stuff at Dark Horse at that point, and I had sent it to Chris Warner, and he was like, yeah, this is cool, but I don't think it – I think he said this seems like a better fit for Image, and I think uh, Eric Stevenson wasn't at Image yet, I don't think, or maybe he had just started, because I, I had sent stuff to Eric Larson. But, oh, no, Jim Valentino was like, you should do this at Dark Horse, and I'm like, you guys – telling me to work at your other fucking companies that you don't work for is so funny. I mean, I get it. Cause it did look very Hellboyish at the time. And, uh, but, uh, everyone rejected it. So we're like, we're going to self publish it. And, and, uh, what's his face? Uh, Oh my God, I'm biking on this popular writer who you probably know much better than I do. Sam, who did our love is real. What is his Sam last Humphreys. name? Sam Humphreys. Yes. Yes. Sam had done our love is real. It, gotten it into stores and it was getting really popular and i'm like oh there is like a viable self-publishing method yeah, so yeah. like that's what we'll try to do with five goes and we printed like 60 Ashcan first issues i got started working with dylan todd at that point which was i still work with to this day he's awesome sure and has a nice long career now but uh we made a self-published copy and the smartest thing i ever did in my career and not to evoke bleeding cool, but I was like, how did he sell our love is real? And one of the things he had done, it was on a featured list for New York comic-con, like hot items to pick up. And I just like blast emailed everyone at bleeding cool, like all the reporters back then with uh, a PDF. And was like, if you can like put this into like cool things to buy at New York comic-con, that would be awesome. And one of them really liked it was like, I will. And he did. And then the first day of New York comic-con, we sold all 60 in like an hour. And I was like, and this is, you know, Matt, we were doing shows. This yeah. was after like three years of never being able to sell anything sure. at a show. Legitimately nothing. I even yeah. had a Dark Horse Presents issue that no one would buy. Yeah. So I remember being so psyched that people bought it, but also so horrified knowing the financial ruin I was in that uh-huh. just to make that one, like 60 copies of one 30-page comic. And I was working at Comixology at the time, too. I, I moved to New York City and I worked at Comixology when they were still a startup. And uh I was just so, so stressed about like how we're going to do this book. And I think I was uh, complaining to uh, Jay Ferber, who's awesome and would always just kind of like, uh, would also kind of like just email with me. And I was like, I I don't know if like anyone at Image saw it. And he's like, let me send it to Image for you. And he sent it over with a few books to Eric. And then months later, I was on the phone with Will Prince, like complaining that my comic wasn't doing anything. And I got an email from Eric was like, we'll do this at image. I was like, Oh my God, fuck. Well, I, that was the happiest moment of my life and <laughs> literally changed the trajectory of my life. Like I would not have the games jobs I have now or anything, which is, I always hated when people were able to pinpoint that, but like that literally was the moment my life changed, which is overdramatic, but completely serious. Uh, no, no I, I just I, remember, I just remember, though, I immediately emailed Mike Morisi, who does Hoax Hunters, who is our good friend who had, had done Hoax Hunters at Image. And we were all, like, so psyched and me jealous because I'm petty. 
Uh, <laughs> I was like, Mike, they took my book at image. He's like, that's awesome. When's it coming out? I'm like, March. He's like, solicits were due for those two weeks ago. <laughs> so it hit the floor running like that. But uh, again, Jay was a real solid homie there. And uh, again, I, it, it was just such a random occurrence. And because it, it's funny, because everyone's always like, okay, so should I finish a whole issue of my book first? And I'm like, well, no, that was a different case for us. We did it because I was going yeah. to literally sell it. I don't want people going out there spending all this money thinking, oh, if I just send a finished issue like to someone. But uh, but the issue we finished is exactly what we published as issue one of Five Coast. It's, it's, it did not change. We didn't do anything. And uh, that is my long breaking in story from there. You know, because it was just you managed to stay out there. It was a really good time for image. I remember being really pissed, like a petty baby, that John Hickman was on the cover of previews and our book wasn't. But it, we launched the same month as East of West, which was funny. A book okay, I right. love. It. Yeah, because because that was the cover of previews that month. I was like, maybe it'll be the cover, but uh, but no, no. And from there, it was just getting job after job and and going. But it was a long hustle. It was probably about four years from like. As I said, I wrote it when I was a teacher, so it was probably 2007. It came out in 2013. and That's six years. Yeah. In 2007, <laughs> Ethan and I were nine years old. Why are you telling him this? The people hate this. I don't know. I, I like it's it amazing. sometimes. Well, first of all, I, to see I, I, Rosenberg was 55. I was 107. <laughs> um, first of all, Ethan Griffin, happy birthday then. He's had a lot of birthdays since then that I missed, and I feel bad about that. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. No worries. It's, I'm sure it was an absence in both of we, your lives. We get it. We get it. Um, We're writing a comic book about you, just so you know, and the trauma yeah. that you caused us not being there. But That's fair. Yeah, fine. Yeah, That's yeah. fair. Uh, congrats on that. You know, <laughs> I'll, pre, I'll pre-order, pre-order that. Uh, yeah. I'm, I love being amused. The, you no, know, it's interesting, though. Like, yeah, I think about that a lot because I feel like I, I both – broken very quickly and not at all quickly and i like it depending on what mood i'm in i'm like yeah man i wrote like two issues of we can never go home before i had my first marvel short like that's kind of crazy like two issues of a creator owned and then i was doing stuff at marvel and then i'm also like i was <laughs> pitching so things long, for yeah. five years and no one would open the email no, yeah, yeah um I, I like the image thing is interesting to me because obviously like you and me are comic nerds and and image is you know a sort of a holy holy ground of comics but like you were part of a, a really interesting sort of boom at image that i i think that like history is sort of not pays up doesn't pay as much attention to which is like image really breaking a whole wave of creators all at once and, and it's not me being like ostentatious or self-congratulatory but like that was the luckiest day of my life they would take like two new people a year maybe at that point and that's when stuff was just like really i i feel like it started like around with shoe which was was that like yeah. around 2009 and like they were just like a rocket and as i said like stuff was just like books were getting ordered in ways like that they wouldn't because like when i was talking yeah. to people about doing a book at image they'll be like you'll be lucky if you make beer money at best yeah. and five ghosts sold like I guess it was around 20 K after the reprint, which was like crazy for an unknown book in 2013. And again, I actually made like enough money that I quit my job and became a full-time writer. So it was transformative to me. And the fact that even like five years prior, just no chance, maybe five, 7,000 copies of a book, like a hit book. Like that's why like Chu got reprinted. So, so many times, I mean, a great book, but like retailers were not buying books like that. Yeah. 
yeah, it was just that's it was just such a crazy time. Changed the landscape, but I'm thinking like I feel like you and like Justin and Trad on Luther Strode. They were they were like yeah, just before I remember because I would email Justin a lot and was emailing him five ghosts. I feel like it was hit. I'm trying to think of who else it like was really Ed and Walsh on Ed had yeah they had just done comeback before I remember we talked Uh, about and Charles Sullivan had gotten in like Shadowline I feel like Curtis Weeb like because these were books I was like reading to and following meticulously like a nerd was like a big yeah yeah. for Curtis and And then um, he's like I'm gonna do a D and D thing I'm like I don't think that'll work man and what else there there was just a, a roach i feel like and Al, alish had gotten in i feel like zero came out very close proximity of five ghosts uh well, had like as well yeah. get a book before that right yeah he did wild children a few years yeah, again because yeah. because when we were trying to break into i was just like so hyper aware of like anyone who was like a crazy sure. person and just like well and these were people we were seeing at cons and stuff too and yeah it was just wild to see like the night and day transition of like no one gives a shit who you are to like, oh my gosh, you have, and again, no one in the real world knew who you were, but in comics, like, oh my gosh, people know who you suddenly are. And like your book is out. And again, I feel extremely fortunate and lucky to have gotten in when I did, because that was the time to get in, at least for me. But I feel like I've weirdly always been ever since that a little ahead of bigger curves that Mm -hmm. led to me eventually kind of burning out and going to work in games. But, uh, it was a good time to get in when we did. Yeah, yeah. I I want to talk about the the games thing. I can't talk about it as well as I could about comics because uh, I don't really play games anymore. So you have to talk to me like um like the last thing I played was like Goldeneye. Talk to me like I'm a <laughs> good game. Like good just, game though. Like I just went did a four way split of Goldeneye, which we could be doing right now on the screen, oh, and man. it would be awesome. And, and this is a this is about the size we would play it back in the day too. Yeah. And like. We're gonna do it. Let's TVs. play. And I would. Griffin, Griffin and I though. Griffin and I though. We're at the age where we're playing video games in our head right now. We have yeah. Amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Are you, are you playing? Are you playing Goldeneye though? We're playing emulators Goldeneye. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't get any of the actual games. So you do have to emulate everything. So. Yeah. I, I, I actually, I actually did a podcast where we talked about Goldeneye and had to do so much research about Goldeneye. Extremely fascinating. Like nineteen dudes made that game, and none of them really got paid well despite it being like one of the best selling games of all time, because it's a wild story. There's a really good article. If you look up like oral history of Goldeneye or something like super fascinating, let me recommend that read. Um, I don't, we don't really like pointing people away from content on our show. We like if you could just maybe just rewrite it a little bit. (laughs) We'll post a screenshot of the article. Um, I just the interesting thing I think about Golden Eyes that if we played four way split screen right now, I'd fucking destroy all four of you. Yo, no odd job. (laughs) No odd job. No, no, no on job, and I'd still wreck all of you. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Slappers only, I'd kill you. I forgot shot, that you had kill. to look around with the yellow buttons and tried to play it recently and was like, I think I'm going to have a seizure. Like, yeah. I don't know how <laughs> anyone was, played this. I was on myself. tour. I was on tour with a band, and we had a, we were in a conversion van, and we had a Nintendo 64 in the background in the back of the van and we'd play and so no one wanted to drive and no one wanted to sit shotgun because everyone wanted to play goldeneye and then <laughs> and it was great and it was totally fine and then we uh like 10 days in, i was like hey let's switch it up let's play mario kart and we put mario kart in and on the first like three minutes of playing mario kart with the car going this way and your cart swerving <laughs> all of us got so sick we had to pull over and puke like it was just like four dudes just like puking on the side of the highway from mario kart um, <laughs> and so now when you're like oh yeah you're getting getting seasick or whatever from from goldeneye i'm like yeah try playing mario kart in a 
moving van with no windows. <laughs> it sucks. Uh, although now I want to try it again. I feel like I can do it. That sounds fun. It was not bad. Um, <laughs> that's our next podcast. Is us yeah. playing Mario Kart in the back of the van. Um, so like the video game thing, you sort of transition selling from, out let's go <laughs> you sort of transition from being a comic writer to a video game writer and you're a very successful video game writer you work on things that even i've heard of like you worked on destiny 2 correct mm-hmm. and other things that i can't remember uh, uh well league of legends I, yeah, I wrote i wrote a game called uh with the team at airship syndicate i did not write completely by myself uh called uh Ruined King. It's a League of Legends RPG. I also co-wrote a uh, Dark Siders game called Dark Siders Genesis there with Joe Mad, who you might know from comics. Uh, <laughs> yes. But uh, no, it, it's been a wild time. I got very fortunate there. Did I make up Destiny 2? No, no. I, I, that was that was the first game I, I worked on was uh, yeah, yeah. a Destiny 2 expansion called Warmind, which was part of the uh, first Destiny 2 release. The studio I worked at did the PC port of Destiny 2, so we played a bunch of Destiny 2 before it came out. Uh, this was probably like 2015-ish, but uh, long story short, as much as I love comic books, working full-time in comic books is extremely stressful, especially as a writer, where your clout can go up and down based on kind of like who's championing you editorially, how much work you have out, and just so many factors, and to be quite honest, like I got extremely burned out. I did I'm so happy with the work I've done. And I recently like did like a huge retrospective on another podcast. That was great where someone was just awesome and really liked my work and had read everything I ever wrote. And it was really like nice to like I've recount things. Yeah. <laughs> it was with Matt and it wasn't podcast. It was. <laughs> it was different. No, no. <laughs> oh yeah, basically. But, uh, but no, uh, but someone who was like just a fan, because you forget that these people are out there and even books that didn't like light the world on fire, people did read them and blah, blah, blah. But, uh, I think my, I, I just, my my favorite book of yours is I think your worst selling book. I mean, it's not your worst selling book, but it's the one that you, with Broken World. I think Broken World is like oh, thanks, man. That book was supposed to be twelve issues. It's funny what happens when you have to make it four instead. <laughs> yeah, but I love the, I just love the concept and the world building on that book is so. It good. was a cool and, book. Cool yeah. book. Thank you. I, I had a good time. Chris Chris the artist on that did an awesome job. As did the colors Marissa, but uh, Marissa. Yeah. Louise and Chris Peterson, because uh, you shouldn't call people first name. It's not like me and me and Leo, Leonardo right now. You know, I'm Leonardo <laughs> DiCaprio. <laughs> you know, that's Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, long story short, so it was we were doing Violent Love, and Violent Love is one of my favorite books I've ever done. And Image was super supportive, but like, I feel like the market was kind of all over. And like, yeah. I had just finished doing. I think Helen Commandos had just got canceled. And I didn't get more Marvel work as just like. I don't know. It didn't work out for whatever reason, even though I had a good experience there and I was just feeling really downtrodden and quite frankly depressed and worried about how I was going to get paid. I was like, Oh shit, do I have to go be a teacher again? Like, what am I going to do? And, uh, I went out to lunch at San Diego comic-con with, uh, my friend, Sean Kittleson, who I only knew slightly cause he had written the mortal Kombat comics cause he worked at nether realm and he wrote on the injustice games and the mortal Kombat games. And, uh, we had just been friends in passing from cons and he introduced me to one of his friends, a gentleman named TJ Fixman, who had written the ratchet and clank games, but had transitioned to being a screenwriter. So we're just like out at a social lunch and they're talking about this. I was like, Holy shit, TJ, you were the lead writer at insomniac. And like, we were just talking about game writing. And it just came up. I'm like, yeah, like I've played video games my whole life. I just don't know how you get in there. And they're like, you have a resume. That's good enough to do that, man. Like you've been a professional writer for 
long enough and writing at Marvel and DC and stuff like they will like not throw your resume in the garbage. And just from there and with Sean's very kind guidance, like I just started reaching out to recruiters and I had a few like close calls over the year. And I, I, I think I was still doing comics, but just like, as I said, so burnt out and, and wrapping a lot of work I had and just not doing the hustle to get new work, which again, mm-hmm. I, I put a little on myself too. I was just so tired of trying to find what's next. Uh I can't remember where I was finishing out the, that year, but, uh, but a year later I, I had made a connection with uh, the narrative director at Vicarious Visions. Like Steve Orlando actually introduced me. Yeah. One of my good, good friends, one of the nicest people who's just been so generous to me in my life. Uh, let me live at his house for like a month and a half uh, when I had to move to Albany. But uh, Steve had introduced me and I thought I was getting a job at Crystal Dynamics. So I was like, not big shotting him, but like, like, oh yeah, like tell me about your studio. What do you guys do? And, and they hadn't started on Destiny yet. And we just like made a connection. And when I would go visit Steve, I would hang out with this this dude, Dave. And uh, randomly, like a year later, he knew I kind of was looking for a job, but he would always tell me like, when we hung out, I can't give you a job. And I'm like, I get it, man. I'm not that bad at networking. I'm going to just straight up say hi or me. But, uh, but lo and behold, a year later, like they got Destiny and he needed someone else in the studio. And he randomly reached out. He's like, hey, if you move to Albany in two weeks, you could be a contractor on this game. And to my partner, I was just like, will you move to Albany, New York so I can do my job? And they thankfully said yes. And we moved up there. And uh, that's how I got into games. And I was lucky who, enough to be. Who doesn't want to live in Albany? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Two thumbs I, down. <laughs> I, I, I had uh, one of the best uh, Indian food dinners I've ever had in Albany. Yeah, not bad. I mean, was I mean really Orlando good, was there. Really I think loves. But uh, long story short, and just that was the way I got in again, yet again through networking and, and just kind of talking to people and not being afraid to like apply to stuff. Because there's a whole other sector of like comic writing is really competitive, but game writing is insane as well. Like there are so many uh-huh. young people who want to be game writers and probably a lot of talented writers, but there's so few jobs. And again, I try to mentor and talk where I can about that. And ultimately some of the best advice I end up giving is go do something else. If you can, in the meantime, like make comics, like if you can, like, again, obviously not sounding that simple, but that's one thing that I love about comics. It's a tangible, like actual thing it's a lot more exciting to hand someone a comic than like here's my screenplay or here's a random writing sample i just did but uh but but games i i will say up front too part of the reason there is it is much more like a day job like you have you have to be in an office or you did before covid but uh i i don't love like corpo work but it was nice to kind of go back to that after freelancing and being functionally poor <laughs> towards the end of it as well so <laughs> Uh, I would say that you were sort of dysfunctionally poor, um, and and again, I mean that in the most privileged way possible too. Not actually, yeah, but like yeah. for me, I, I was worried basically where my next paycheck was going to come from. Though, you so. were still buying three hundred dollars <laughs> statues, but you with were Matt's, being like with Matt's old discount, yeah. But I was like, like oh, I dude, sh- it's all I shouldn't be doing. This, <laughs> this is a horrible idea. That's kind of the the experience I'm having doing taxes right now is just like. God damn it, I'm so poor. And then going back through and being like, oh, fuck, I'm spending so much on fucking records. Jesus oh, man. Well, I will tell anyone who does do <laughs> freelance full time, don't be an idiot like me and just put off your taxes. Because, like, I had to spend the last five years, like, paying off, like, back taxes, which I finally did this year. And not a cool time. 
Because, like, the, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people are much more financially smart than me, and I just was not – I was just, like, I wouldn't do, like, the quarterly shit. I would just, like, get, like, oh five grand at the end of the year in taxes and just not pay it and be like, well – Put it on the payment plan. Like you only have to pay like a hundred dollars a month. I'll do that till I'm seventy years old. Dude, layaway, baby. Yo, it's, <laughs> this country sucks. That's, but what's up? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Laying away a, yeah. a nice army. And, and also, and also, no health insurance during that whole time too, or right. just like the like so worst, sick. like get hit by a truck. This is I, I meet a lot of people in games, and, and no disrespect to them because I'm happy for their path. But a lot of people who went right into games after college. And like people say stuff about health insurance. I'm like, try not having health insurance for six months and see how you feel about health insurance when you come back. And you'll have a whole new perspective. Not that that doesn't need to be fixed, but uh, living I'm without super, health insurance is harrowing. I'm super curious uh, about uh, the sort of the process of game writing, if we want to keep talking about that at all. Um, yeah, I, I, if I, it's, it's interesting. I'm more than so happy to talk about it. Especially because yeah. like, we're talking about the differences in the industries and stuff and uh, talking about how small comics can be to the point where like, we kind of always have to have like, Oh, people know you. And then it comes with the asterisks of uh, people in comics know you in the real world, quote unquote, people don't know you, but then there's the video game industry that is like the most profitable industry in entertainment. <laughs> and well, so how does that sort of thing affect what? writing? I, well, I've been very fortunate that I've been uh, not worked on large writing teams. A lot of games have like, you'll see like 15 people plus and like, we'll split up stuff. And again, the junior writers will do just like smaller tasks, like, like item descriptions, maybe, or just like copy that's in the game. And then probably like someone who's a lead will do the actual like recorded dialogue uh, or the like breakup missions or like mega companies like Ubisoft, like they'll have different studios around the world, all writing missions for like a Assassin's Creed game. Like just mm -hmm. a writing team in Singapore did this mission and a writing team over here. Like, uh, but I've been fortunate that I've worked on with, well, quite frankly, extremely small teams at uh, Activision. It was for a large part of it, just me and my boss. And then we got two more people and in, in worked together on that. So there was only four of us and three of us were functionally writers. Our boss was more of just the lead. But then at Airship, I was the only writer, which was great because it was just me and Joe, the creative director, who would do anything for, for Darksiders and uh, Ruin King. And then I'm at a company called LED Games and I'm the lead writer and only writer there. And I work with a lot of people who have input and like the creative director, but... I thankfully have had a lot more, much more curated experience where I got to actually do everything versus a lot of people who their job, like, Oh, they'll write like a mission here or there, or, like smaller things. And it is much more of a job. And, and I always say like, I've managed to keep my head with it, which is nice despite having an awesome opportunity to have like my work really represented in the games I write. Mm -hmm. But like, I always know I have comics. Like if I want to write something that has my name on it, that I, you can read and I wrote like, I can write a comic, correct? Write a book, but with yeah. the game, like, do you feel the difference between like you're making stuff that is seen by so many more people, but it's so less creator driven? Like, how does and, and that? Yeah, no one knows that I wrote these games. Like, yeah, and it, and like, it's and fine how does, because how, does that, how do you feel about that? Like, I feel like I'd feel shitty if I didn't write comics. Quite honestly, like, uh -huh. I would feel because I know a lot of game writers who are constantly trying to do other stuff. Like, despite having great jobs and insurance and like steady careers but like they feel like no one knows who they are and like and again that can be a destructive feeling not that everyone's chasing fame but like 
there are people who've worked on big, big, big franchises who you'll never know the names unless you're someone who sits there and reads the credits and things like that. And uh, mm -hmm. it is, it does suck to kind of get lost in the wash if you are looking for career momentum, but like it, it's different beasts. There's a lot of like joy knowing like, Oh, this product goes much wider. And like, I, you can feel like the stuff you do represent, you can always put in your portfolio or, or, or things like that. But uh it's always grass is always greener though. So many people want what they don't have. Like yeah. everyone either wants to be like, again, if you're writing video games, you either want to be a comic writer or a screenwriter. If you're a screenwriter, you're probably like, how do I get into video games? And then if you're a comic writer, you're like, how do I do anything? That's not this. <laughs> but, uh, but no, it, it's, it's the, it is a kind of thing though, where it is like much more team-based, but I like, cause I'm collaborative too. And I think working with, with artists and, colors and letters like teaches you to be a little bit collaborative and um it, it's definitely like largely not yours especially if you're working on ip and games like you can't suddenly make a crazy pivot or decide to kill someone or so because again the, the thing i enjoy doing most in my career is writing my own like creator own comics which i've been so fortunate to do such a high volume of because that is where you can do anything that is where again I feel so, so fortunate that any human being would buy a book of an idea I just made up. And I, again, I owe that to image take care of book when it did, like there's not a world where anyone read five ghosts. If, I, if we just self published it or even did it at another competing company at that time, like at that mm -hmm. time in 2013 image was the place people went to, to find like new books. And that's why I say, I feel like that was so, so lucky because now, even still, I feel like like they're still awesome and have a market lead. But so many of my friends who are breaking into comics now, like you still have to fight so much harder, like because there's not that huge, huge, like laser focus or so many other publishers. And yeah. it was bad creatively because there was only one company doing that on Moss. But like it was good career wise because people would be like, oh, if I want to read an indie book, I'm going to read the image books like back then. I feel like um it's a long, yeah. weird answer that went to other places. That's okay. Yeah. I think it's a good, a good transition too. Yeah, I, I feel like uh, there's a, there's an interesting thing. Like you, I, I know that like your, you love creating your own books the most, and like more than doing work for hire, or license stuff. And not that you don't love doing that stuff and and do that stuff well, but like. I see more of a connective tissue to your creator own books in sort of the video game stuff. Cause it feels more like world building to me, which I know is like something you really love, which you don't get to do if you come in and do an issue of Dr. Strange or do some Lobo or whatever it is. Do you feel like, like in a way the video game stuff is closer to doing creator own stuff, even though you're still working on a corporate IP? Yes. Because of the stuff I got to work on, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And like the stuff I'm working on now is like new IP stuff. So starting from the ground up, but like, I would not be able to do it if I hadn't spent so long doing my own things and learned how to like write my own things, how to like quickly mm -hmm. make characters that feel good. But uh, the biggest thing though, and again, I'm not afraid to talk negatively about my own work is like, I am not a dialogue person. Like I write dialogue functionally. It's there. Like I like visual storytelling. I'm not like trying to write like the best conversations ever had when I was doing my comics. Really, that was not my focus. And I feel like we found ways to like get around it, especially with five ghosts, uh, because it was set in this like pulpy like era. Like I remember someone's like, Oh, it's cool how they make the dialogue like kind of like, bad and stiff i'm like no that's just me writing back it's the first thing i've ever written and it just happens to be coming out in front of a bunch of people but uh 
it was like a weak point for me and something that like annoyed the shit out of me, but working in games, writing for performances, I've gotten to actually like go and like oversee recording sessions and especially on Ruin King, like, well, I guess in Destiny 2, we worked with like literally like a bunch of critical role people and like some of the best like voice actors in the business. And it was really affirming and helpful for me to feel like, oh, wow, like I feel much better at this and uh-huh. so much that an actor bringing to it, like, Cause when you're recording in the studio and you actually have time, like you can like actively rewrite the lines as you're recording. And, mm-hmm. and we worked with an awesome director on, on Ruin King who I love a, a gentleman named, uh, fuck, I cannot remember Kevin's last name, but like, Doesn't have Kevin. he's, it was the, uh, but like we would be able to hear the actors read the line back. And because we had enough time, if it sounded clunky or weird, like take a minute and like craft and can't do that for every line. But like, it was such a great experience. Wow. And yeah, I, it goes back to that old adage that everyone says, but I don't think people do is like, yo, just read your fucking dialogue out loud because mm-hmm. if you hear someone say it, it will sound you'll hear immediately in comics. I feel like you can get away with writing crappy dialogue, uh, especially if you're me, but uh, <laughs> because people are reading it though, I feel like people will bring a lot to it and it's not performed. But uh, the minute you get into a performative medium, like you will immediately see where your problems are, like where phrasing or even just learn what like different character voices, because like, and again, I, I wasn't uneducated. Like all I would do is read writing books and I taught writing, but like it wasn't something that was landing for me. I feel like in my work early on and again, I don't think it was terrible. It just wasn't like the focus. I wouldn't say like, oh, go read my books and you'll see like amazing, like sparkling dialogue. But now I feel like I've really, the next thing I write will <laughs> will be much better in my eyes. But uh, that is a big, big thing because a lot of what you will write as a game writer will be like, they call them like barks, like, which are like, like, Hey, where are you going? Or where's Spider-Man or what's going on? Like shit that random NPCs say, like <laughs> a lot of thought on writing those. Like I, I joke with my game writer friends, like <laughs> there's only so many fucking good ways to do that, man. Like <laughs> you're not going to be the Shakespeare of writing, like where's Spider-Man? Like, barks. <laughs> and that, that is some, what if you were though? What if you just were the Shakespeare? There might be some people, but there are a few things that where you do learn, like, shit that will never sound okay because a lot of people don't know how writing works in general and like we'll say things like well i want more subtext or like oh like is this on the nose but sometimes when you're writing a fucking video game and like it's a video gamey ass video game where like say you're picking up a key to a door and you can't get the door key when the guy walks up to the door the the (laughs) avatar you can't there's no subtext version of i need a key to get in here (laughs) and like i've definitely dealt sometimes with people are like is it too on the nose i'm like yo it needs to be on the nose i can't be like it it reminds me of that joke in wayne's world right when like the guy's like she lives over there and they're like can we get an extra with more like emphasis and someone's like oh like mayberry court i used to know a girl who lived there and like a memory but it's like no sometimes some of the shit is just functional and point and also <laughs> if you're just writing text like a lot of people just will skip story stuff in games which is soul crushing but it's how it goes but uh but again it, it really has helped i feel like my dialogue and just sense of like what it sounds like and i'm also like someone who really believes in the like less is more school in terms of like line length and and again i feel like matt you always did a lot more dialogue but i feel like even mm-hmm. with you like you're not like a like you don't want to write walls of text no, you like no. a lot more back and forth i like back and forth i'm i'm uh i mean i you know i'm of the bendis school I, no, I, no but but i think that's what people misinfer a lot of like newer comic writers think like also just if their words are not on every page it doesn't feel like yeah. they wrote the comic and like you need to get over that quick because I love <laughs> silent sequences because I don't have to do anything. I don't use a lot of captions and like 
a lot of people will kind of be like, what did you do? And it's like, I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and justify the fact that I wrote a script that the artist worked for. I mean, it's funny because I saw someone recently be like a comics creator, be like, writers, write a book without captions challenge. And everyone's like, it's so hard. And I was like, man, I never use captions. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what, like, I, used, I, feel, like, I feel like they were before. I used locator captions, but like. Yeah, like they were like before my time a little. Like those were much more 80s captions. Like when they yeah. would do like that novelistic, like in the back mm -hmm. room of the Gray Malkin Lane yeah. warehouse, there is blah, blah, blah. And I just, not my vibe. Yeah, I mean, I always think about like, you know, like that, like Stan Lee to like Chris Claremont era, like just yeah. informing what you're looking at or like inform, you know, setting a scene and setting a stage or like. <laughs> The vertigo, the '80s, '90s vertigo era of yeah, just, yeah. like this is just poetry. Like, well, yeah, just... and, and like rereading, I reread Sandman recently. There's so much like, but it's like really novelistic, and I never yeah, really yeah. wanted to do. It. I will say, someone, Chris Sabella, friend of the room, like writes great, like captions stuff. I remember reading High Crimes, and when people are like, "This book's great," I'm like, "That is it, whatever." That read, I'm like, "Yo, this book fucking rules." I yeah. feel blown away, but like, he is someone who has found like. Again, I guess they feel a little more dialogue-y, but like he uses them well, but that's just, I feel like Tom King too, I mean, has figured it out. Does Bendis, Bendis was always more dialogue though, right? He doesn't do like caption-y, like he's narration captions. Yeah, yeah. No, he's oh. not as, there's not as much narration captions in this work. I guess um, like internal monologue stuff, which like, has, mm. like now gets used. Like now I feel like I see a lot of like, internal monologue boxes yeah. that are like yeah that's I, me you're probably what? wondering how i got yeah. here like that yeah. sort of thing <laughs> yeah um, yeah but I, was it wasn't he one of the first people who started moving like thought balloons into captions right. instead yeah. like i feel like that was like a big yeah, yeah. it's it's funny because there's that what is the book there's like a mid 2000 2010s book where like i feel like he goes back and uses balloons again for a little bit really? <laughs> And it's, oh no no remember. yeah yeah there i feel like a few people have done that and yeah. like i'm just like oh it looks so weird to me now yeah it but feels, even, it feels jarring and i love it but it's jarring. i, I feel like cause I, I do most of my own lettering i hate doing it and i don't do it as good as professional letters but i've done it a lot and i just did it on our dark horse book uh on elixir i lettered elixir which was interesting going back to it after so while because i i haven't i didn't letter astonishing times uh Taylor at Ghostcliff did it, did an awesome job. And again, I always feel like a fraud now when I go back to it. But uh there's there were also no standards in lettering. Like I was reading the like uh Kevin Smith Joe Quesada Daredevil book, uh -huh. and the lettering is like giant in that book, like distractingly big. And, and as someone who's had to like prep pages, I'm like, what the fuck were they doing? <laughs> and those are like huge thought balloons too. And, and that book rules, but like it's so weird to even go back to uh so again, late 90s stuff or early 2000s and see some of the like practices they're doing in physical production. That's like, what the fuck is this? I read, like, I read something the other day that was a recent book and I don't even remember what it is. I'm not, I wouldn't call them out anyway, but like <laughs> the, uh, there's a balloon where there's just a lot of dialogue and they just go to a much smaller font, but it's not amazing. Like, amazing. They were just like, this just isn't going to fit. And I was oh, like, wow. I was like, this is obviously like a letterer being like, I don't know how the fuck you want me to do <laughs> yeah. this. Well, uh, is, but I, I just I feel like, yeah, ugh. it was really kind of incredible. It, and I just like, obviously, I don't think it's a one to one. But I'm, I'm I just imagine like the TV show where they're like, we're running out of time on this episode. Everyone talk really fast. <laughs> talk fast. <laughs> <laughs> what that would feel like. And yeah, it's a it was a weird moment for sure.
And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Frank Barberi. Make sure to check out Elixir, as well as everything else Frank is working on, by giving him a follow on Twitter at Atlas Incognita. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion. And in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at Ashcan Press on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?